Welcome to the How I Became podcast, all about entrepreneurship. Jacqueline, welcome to the How I Became podcast. I'm so excited to have you, the co-founder of Benepass on the podcast and telling a little bit about you and your story and how you've grown the company to where it is today. Thanks for having me here, Kelly. Yeah, so my name is Jacqueline and I'm one of the co-founders and CEO here at Benepass. Um, we started the company about four years ago and our goal is to get help companies give their employees a personalized and flexible benefits experience. And, and I think a lot of that came from, you know, having worked in big corporate types of companies and industries. Um, so my co-founders, like I came from finance before my co-founders formerly in tech, I think we worked in industries where, you know, the companies were saying like, you know, we have a really you know, high compensation and benefits package. But the analogy I always make is like for a lot of employees, benefits are on this imaginary shelf where you don't know what's on the shelf and taking things off the shelf is really administratively burdensome that a lot of people just kind of give up on it. And I think it results in a lot of like underutilization of benefits. And, and for, I think, companies, you know, this is a pretty significant portion of spend. And so it results in you know, a lot of corporate waste if they're buying benefits and employees aren't aware of them, they're not using them. Typical stats in the U.S. are around like 30% of your total compensation package is in the value of benefits. But I think if you ask your average employee, they have no idea that that's what their company spends. And our whole you know, mission and, and what we're building at Benepass is to kind of bridge that gap and to make benefits really accessible, personalizable, and delightful at the end of the day. I use Benepass, as you know, and I absolutely love it. I'm like, it's probably one of my most used apps in my phone because I'm constantly checking and seeing, okay, like what, what else can I do? How else oh. can I, you know, like enjoy my life a little yeah. bit more? So Personally, I love it. So I think um, that gap is definitely being bridged. How did you identify that as a problem from the get-go? Because it's a meaty problem, not one that I think would be, you know, the sexiest to get into. So what kind of got you into that world? Yeah, I think as with most founders, there's a little bit of a lived experience. And then there's kind of a, and for someone like me, there's a little bit of like an academic approach, like thinking about problem spaces and markets kind of on top of that. So the first half is, you know, just like I said, uh, having been an employee at, within an industry where ostensibly it's like very compensation and benefits rich, but I always felt like the company was telling me like, these are the things that we care about. And the, therefore these are the things that we're providing. And, you know, there's awesome, like, I remember when I, you know, showed up to work, like, you know, first as a 22 year old fresh out of college, you know, companies were telling us about all these great, like, for example, parental benefits, which are amazing for companies to provide but as a 22 year old that wasn't applicable to me at that current life stage. And I think as your, you know, life stage evolves, what matters to you kind of evolves. And it's really tough for companies to like, one, you know, fully predict that and be there at every step of the way as you're kind of personal circumstances change. So I definitely had that experience where I felt like, you know, some of the more important things to me weren't necessarily being addressed by um, what the company was offering. And so that's kind of the, I guess, lived experience portion. Um, the other more, you know, just as like, I, I wanted to become a founder. I, I think I had the ambition and, you know, certainly I had this lived experience, but I think it's yeah. quite another thing to say like, okay, I'm going to actually try to start something and, and, you know, bring about the change and build this new thing because, you know, I'm a first time founder. 
I have not worked in human resources or like in a people function. Um, uh, a lot of my role has been, you know, getting our early customers in a sales capacity. And that also wasn't my background. And so there's a little bit of gumption and naivete that, you know, takes that it takes to kind of like make that jump. And so what, you know, kind of propelled me to do that was thinking about, you know, the market, the sheer size of the market, you know, reading that stat in terms of how much companies spend here and seeing the market opportunity. Um, also with my background in financial services and seeing some of the new like fintech um, that was available to help startups like us get, you know, started quicker. Some of the like banking as a software uh, service types of companies that, you know, we use today as program partners to get started kind of the fintech stack underneath the hood. So definitely a confluence of things. I mean, startups are never that, it's never that perfect story that founders tell of like, oh, this led to this, led to this, but kind right. of confluence of all those things um, made me excited about the opportunity and to, and to build something here. So you mentioned that you wanted to be a founder and that was a bit of a, an ambition for you. What led you, you know, down being an entrepreneur, kind of how did your, this ambitious line before you help guide you to where you are today and wanting to be an entrepreneur? I am really just excited by building a place where I would want to work and creating that environment for the people around me. I don't know where it officially started, but yeah, I mean, I, I think I always grew up thinking and, and seeing examples of work being a really meaningful portion of who you are as an individual and, and a lot of time spent, right? I mean, we spend at least 40 hours a week um, at work and that's, you know, often more time than I have for, you know, spending with like friends and family. Um, and so I think it's, it gives like my work and contribution to the world gives me meaning. It gives me purpose. It gives me, you know, challenge. It, it's the, I guess the vehicle for challenges and overcoming obstacles. And I just think that that's such an important part of who we are and how we spend our time. And so it just really matters to me that, that it passed, you know, for, for the idea of what we're doing for our customers, but also how we're building the company for the people that work here. Um, and, you know, I spent the early part of my career working on Wall Street where you're working 60, 80, 100 hour weeks and just spending so much time at work. And I think that that was an incredible experience in terms of just the sheer amount of time I spent at work and therefore the amount that I learned and being around really like people being around people who are really excellent and dedicated to their work. Um, but I always thought that, you know, hey, there are some things that I would love to bring into the work culture. Um, you know, if I had my way and, you know, starting a company is a way to get your way uh, really fast. Your CEO of one is how you kind of ascend to the top uh, immediately. But um, a lot of, you know, what I take pride and joy around building Bennett Pass is, you know, both for our customers and for our employees. It's such it's an amazing journey, especially, you know, not having that HR background, but just learn taking the time to learn about what that gap is and then diving into it. Was there a point growing up or maybe it was just once you entered the workforce and figuring out how do I want to get to the top, but, or solve a big problem when you thought about being an entrepreneur, what did that look like to you? And has it evolved once you actually, you know, started a business from when it was an aspiration of yours? Yeah. 
I think in the last, oh, I don't know, 10, 15 years, like startups and tech and Silicon Valley has become a big part of kind of just more like higher kind of cultural awareness. And so I think there's like a glamorization of like what being a founder is. And there's kind of this like, what is a founder versus an entrepreneur? And I think founders just like rebranding of what being an entrepreneur is. And for me, I think I wanted to go down this point at this point in my career because I thought it would be the place where I could learn the most in the most intense way. And that's definitely turned out to be the case. I think, yeah, I mean, it's, it, I would love, I have the ambition one day to, you know, take a company public and have like, and, and you know, have, and, and build a really big and successful business, but really, you know, the zero to 0 0.1 is exceptionally hard and is really just about putting one foot in front of the other and thinking, you know, what are my goals for the next two weeks? Like you can't think about necessarily, you don't deserve to think about goals for the next like 10 years. If you've only been around for, you know, less than six months. Right. Um, and so a lot of, I think the early entrepreneurship journey is really not sexy and and it's really just and when you don't have momentum it's really hard to like create momentum from the ground up i mean i remember my earliest days i would just like open up my laptop and just say what am i going to do today because you know i didn't have i had the skeleton of an idea i didn't have co-founders at the time I just was trying to talk to people about an idea and, you know, it's hard to talk to people about an idea because, you know, everyone's kind of wants to be nice to you and says like, oh, that sounds nice. And then you just try to figure out like how to interview people and understand their problems and then brainstorm solutions. And all that is, like I said, in the early days, very not glamorous. And I think a lot of what entrepreneurship is, is just like grit and just keeping after it and, you know, and having a strong conviction that this vision that you have should and will become, you know, some sort of reality one day. And then I think a little bit of naivete to not think about all the different obstacles that will inevitably come up in the middle. It's funny when you mentioned about everyone wants to be nice and everyone's very supportive of your idea. I find sometimes there's a sentiment of people saying everyone's going to be against you. Everyone's going to say that you're going to fail. But I think the reality is no one cares enough to be that negative i think everyone's just like great idea go for it eye roll and it's the people who actually take the time to say here's why i think you might be successful or here's where i i don't you know maybe dig into this area is actually a lot more valuable than people who are just you know so so to the idea either way but to your you know to your point as the founder yourself you just have to have the grit and push through and find the people who are going to support you along the journey, which I know at the beginning you were a solo entrepreneur and you don't have a technical background coming from the financial side. So what was that journey building tech product, but not as a technical founder? And what was the journey to bringing on some more technical folks? Or how did you think about that from the beginning? Because that from day one, you're, you're facing a big hurdle. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the so I, I graduated from business school in 2019. I graduated from Stanford 
And I was in my second year focused on trying to find co-founders to kind of be a part of the journey with me. And it's funny at that time I was planning to move to New York. That was, you know, where my then boyfriend, fiance, now husband lived. And so that's where I planned to live after, after graduating from Stanford. But the bulk of my classmates were thinking about staying in the Bay area. And so I just didn't, I just didn't meet like a founder, a co-founder when I was in business school. And so when I graduated, I remember thinking, well, I'm getting married in October. It's currently June. And so, you know, let me just between now and October, I will just work on my idea and finish like wedding planning and get married and do the honeymoon and all that. And if after that, this isn't going anywhere, then I will apply for a job and and get a real job. And so when I talk about like, it's just, I'm just optimizing for the next like couple of months at a time. So that's what I did. And I remember shortly thereafter the wedding in October, I, I applied to Y Combinator, the startup accelerator, kind of on a whim. And at the time it felt somewhat remote because I know YC, um, you know, has predominantly in the past had technical founders. So me being not technical was, you know, maybe a strike, if you will. And the thought of going back and boomeranging back to the Bay Area for three months. It's funny now with the pandemic, everyone is like, so, you know, we're, we're remote first. It has completely become a non-issue. But the time it seemed like that was going to be a barrier. And so I remember literally the night I applied to YC was because my, my husband said, Hey, I'm going to be late coming home from work. So we like, couldn't, we like our dinner plans got canceled. I was like, well, I have nothing better to do. I might as well just type my application. And so I just did the application of like one fell swoop. And I was like, let me just hit submit and see what happens. And, you know, fortunately or whatever it was, um, I was selected to interview and ultimately I, I did get in. Um, and I, I was solo at the time. And I remember them calling me and with the acceptance and saying, you're building a software company, yet you can't write software. And so we suggest you try to find some co-founders who can do that pretty critical skill. Um, and, you know, I, I took that advice. And so for the next like three months, I said, OK, I'm going to try to find co-founders who can bring the skills to the table that I certainly don't have in building this software company. And and meeting my co-founders was also somewhat serendipitous. I have two co-founders who we've been together for the last four years. And so, you know, my journey as solo really lasted a grand total of just a couple of months. I mean, I really think of uh, our company as like the three of us working together. Um, So Mark and Kabir, um, Mark was um, actually one of my housemates when I was in my second year of business school, uh, we, at, at Stanford, you live in these like passed down houses that are like five or six um, roommates. And he was our one like non-business school uh, housemate. So uh, while we went to class, he went to work and then we all, you know, hung out and had parties on the weekends. And so he had just left his job at Google and was figuring out what was next. And I think he also wanted, had like a startup itch and wanted to do something there. And then Kabir, uh, I was actually introduced to by a business school classmate who ultimately, Mo Islam, who is an investor at Threshold, and they ultimately led our Series A round. I remember sitting next to Mo at a brunch and we were just like, hey, what have you been doing since business school? And I said, oh, well, I had this idea. I got into YC and I need to find a technical co-founder. And Mo said, oh, let me introduce you to Kabir. Kabir is one of the smartest people I've ever met. And, you know, maybe you'll have, maybe you'll have something. 
And it was funny. So the three of us, like we met, I mean, uh, Kabir was already in New York. Mark was in the Bay Area. They, we kind of sat in a room for like one weekend, like three days in a row, just like talking about the idea, figuring out like, do we want to work together? And, you know, it, it just happened to work out great. And so, you know, and at the time it was like, it was, nothing was perfect, shall we say? Like the perfect co-founding story is like, you've worked together before, you have a long history. And so the ups and downs and like, you know, problems that you face, you already have some sense of overcoming that. And right. Mark Kabir and I had none of that. Um, but I think, you know, where we over index is we're all, you know, really just want the best for the company, want to build something. I think everyone's really self-aware about the strengths and weaknesses, what we bring to the table versus not. Um, and then three of us just decided, hey, let's do YC together and see what happens. And I've always been of the mindset that, you know, if it isn't working, we can fix it. And so to me, I was like, okay, I have two, two co-founders. If one of them works out, great. If both of them work out, great. If none of them work out, I still have this great experience through the startup accelerator that is going to be worthwhile in and of itself. Um, and so that was my attitude going into YC. And that's kind of, I guess, how it all cobbled together. Um, and we start, we joined YC um, in January of 2020. And that was right before the pandemic. Um, and then a lot has happened since then. But that's really when the company actually, I think, really got started. We started building, having tried to acquire customers. Um, but yeah, it was a cobbled together uh, in the early days. It's always exciting to hear the the co-founder story, whether it was very strategic and you're, you know, interviewing a bunch of people, or, I mean, in, in this case, uh, it seems like it just mad, like, I'm, I know there's a lot of work that goes in, but it just like <laughs> kind of magically came together with, yeah. to then build such a successful company for your first time all working together is very unique. How did you feel emotionally in letting go some of the company? Because I imagine in your head, you kind of paint this picture of, making all the decisions and being the CEO and growing the company and then bringing in not just one, but two co-founders and you have to trust that they're going to love this baby that you're building as much as you do. So how did you, I know there's yeah. challenges, but how did you feel about it? Yeah. Um, I think the way I think about it for my first time, and I took a little bit of like the YC advice, frankly, in this, is that I really care about this business becoming something. I would rather have some portion of something than 100% of nothing. Zero. And so I've never, so far, I've never optimized for claiming it in that way. Um, Mark Kabir and I have been equal co-founders from the beginning. It was my idea to start, but I don't, you know, that, but and that's, that's just, a fact it's not like you know indicative in our ownership stakes by any means yeah. and i've always wanted to take away factors or obstacles that could get in the way and i do think that having um unequal equity stakes in the beginning for co-founders is one of those things that just is always in the back of your head in terms of making decisions and you know overcoming issues where you don't all agree and so that taking that off the table of like, oh, it's, you know, my way or their way or whatever. And, you know, those sort of like, I guess, dynamics in the background that are always going to be there. We've all, I've always been focused. What's like the best decision going forward. And I think that, you know, we were clear about our roles in that, like, 
I'm CEO, there's business decisions. Ultimately, if it's like a 5149, like I make the decision. But I think having that, like I said, that like little seed in the back of your head around like unequal equity stakes was just, I think I, I wanted to just remove that from the conversation. And I think that also gave a lot of faith to Mark and Beer in the early days. I really did view them as full-time co-founders. And I mean, look, all things, like I am also a firm believer, if it doesn't work, you can fix it. You can have an adult conversation about it not working. You can redo equity stakes if that's really what it you know needs to come down to. And I think the ability for us to kind of continue to be real with each other, have a really like honest, transparent and like well-intended relationship has, I think, been a really big plus for the company um, in terms of like the stability of the co-founding team. It's a great message. I think it also shows a lot of your leadership in in going into you know that weekend and figuring out what the company will look like from the get go. It's a really great mindset. How has your leadership style evolved over the last four years of growing the company? If it has, I imagine it has because now you're leading quite a big team. But how do you continue to work on that? Because you clearly had really great leadership qualities from the beginning, but. What has that looked like as an evolution over the last little while? It's definitely an evolution as a founder because I think my job changes quite dramatically every six months or so. And I forget who there's like, there's this like, uh, oh, it might be, I keep on referencing Y Combinator, right? I think it's like Ali Rogani who uh, wrote this article about how like the founder journey, like in the beginning, it's just grit and you got to do things. It's kind of like an IC, figure it out, uh, you know, at figure it out however you can, grit mentality. And then you start building a team and then it's become, it, the role becomes about managing and not like, can you push a boulder up the hill, but can you get other people to help you push a boulder up the hill? And then later it becomes much more about like what we think about quintessential like leadership, if you will, like, you know, leading a bigger team, setting the vision and all that. And like your job really changes as your company becomes more successful. Um, and so I, I think in the beginning, I mean, there wasn't a lot to quote unquote lead. It was like the three of us, we had different, you know, uh, roles and responsibilities and just like literally the goals were, can we acquire one customer? Can we acquire 10 customers? Can we get our initial round of funding? Funding. Those are sort of the most basic level goals. And now my job is about, you know, figuring out, um, you know, what is the right team to kind of execute on the vision? Where are we going in the next couple of years? raising money. And then a lot of it, I think, is around communication and clarity of communication and thinking about my leadership style in that in that vein. But, you know, some of the values that we have at the company are, you know, we say our three core values are empathy, seeking joy, and setting audacious goals. And I think that is that is my style in a nutshell. And I've kind of, you know, I think a part of that on the company and for me, you know, the empathy piece is uh, understanding where other people are coming from. And I think that is how we found the pain point is like interviewing customers when we've never been in that role. Um, and I think also that, you know, has has you can see that in many, many different ways at the company. I think it's really just a kind, generous group of people seeking joys around, you know, it's, uh, we take, we treat our goals intensely, but we're a laid back group and, you know, people are funny and want to be themselves. And like, there's, there's fun in work. And, and also when we, you know, meet big, uh, overcome big obstacles together, there's like a joy in celebrating that, um, we definitely try to impart on the culture. And then the last one is about, 
you know, audacious goals, ambition. And I think that's a big part of who I am and, and I want to build a really big business and I have a big vision for what we can all do together. And I want people individually to also think audaciously about what they can do at the company. You know, as our company grows, their roles and scopes can expand quite dramatically, um, more so than like a larger, you know, more stable kind of corporate type of environment. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely evolved and, and I think it will continue to evolve and I'm still figuring out what my leadership style is, quote unquote, but I think, you know, the best thing I try to do in the interim is be authentic, be transparent and, you know, be, um, and set a good example of what, you know, high quality, excellent, uh, being a, a high quality, excellent coworker is myself. It's such a, a challenging job to your point, like every six months, it's changing so much on a previous episode. One of the founders mentioned, he goes, every six months, I pretty much fire myself and then rehire the new me because you're changing and you have to evolve, not just like literally how you're leading a team, but the company is hopefully growing and changing every six months as well. So you have to adapt to that, which I thought was really interesting. And, and you echo that as well. So I'm sure it's exciting. It's also hard work because not only are you growing a business, but you're like consciously having to evolve yourself yeah. as well. Yeah. Just on, on that point, I think the most important skill around being a founder is selling. And I don't think I knew that going in and I've since figured that out because, you know, in the beginning, it's selling your first customer selling yourself because your product is an MVP, right? It's minimally viable. So it's not, you know, a fulsome product. So you have to sell yourself, sell the vision to a paying customer. Then eventually you have to sell investors on what, you know, the 10 year billion dollar outcome is going to be, especially for if you're trying to raise venture capital type of funding. And then you're also selling employees, your existing ones, prospective new hires, because you have to build a team. And so, so much of like marketing yourself and being confident, but being authentic in that, that's been a real journey for me. That's a skill that I don't think is taught often in business schools. And, you know, as a finance person, I was like, oh, just like here I am in my Excel spreadsheet and have comfort in doing that and building slides. But I think being authentic and being good at that and understanding the other person and how you connect with them, that's been a big learning curve for me. And that's, that's the one thing I wish I knew that would be like such an important skill of being a founder, um, that I definitely did not realize the importance of which beforehand. And you mentioned about, you know, selling to the VCs as well. So I'm curious about that part of the journey as well. And, and it's an evolution. I think it's something that is ongoing, but how did you and your co-founders decide that VC was the right route for you? And what did that, you know, from, uh, from if you did a family friends round to I know you did, I think it was about two years ago, your series A, what did that evolution look like? And how did you decide that that was the right way of, of raising? Yeah. Venture capital. I mean, it's, it's gone through several cycles, even in the four short years we've been doing this. Like I said, we graduated from YC at right when the pandemic was hitting in like March and April of 2020. Then there was, you know, the craziness of uh, 2021 and then the dip recently. And so it's just, it's been a boom. I felt like, I feel like it's been a boom bust cycle in just like my four short years. Um, I mean, look, venture capital is about big risk and big reward and raising venture mean venture funding means that you're going to have 
the pockets to go take a big swing and to really, you know, invest and try out uh, something new and really kind of, you're swinging for the fences, if you will, you know, a very fast billion dollar outcome. There are downsides to that and that you can swing and miss and like, you know, it is a quick boom bust. And I think, you know, the last 18 months have taught founders more about discipline, about margins, about efficiency. And certainly that's been something that, you know, I think for us, the, you know, the pivot there as a company uh, has not been as dramatic, but certainly, you know, we've had to kind of, you know, figure out uh, how to be more efficient in, in kind of the last 18 months. Um, but like I said, venture is about, you know, it's got to be a big target market. It's got to be a big swing and you really have to have the ambition to build something large. And, 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 and frankly, for someone like me personally, who's, I think I'm a little bit more conservative in what my vision is. Sometimes I'm like, oh, here's what I think could happen, but I'm very much thinking, well, what are the next you know, 10 obstacles I'm going to face and how I'm going to, how am I going to overcome them? And you kind of have to have this brazen, irrational confidence in your ability to figure it out because, you know, those billion dollar outcomes are, are rare and not everyone gets there, but you kind of have to have like that self-belief, the grit, the kind of just, like I said, it's probably irrational. It's probably brazen. Um, and you just got to keep pursuing it. Um, and I think that that's, you know, raising venture funding is like, there's pros and cons to it. There's high expectations of growth, um, given the, you know, amount of money that you can raise, um, at an early stage where with an, with evaluation that you you know, probably don't deserve. Um, and, but it's, it's about taking kind of big swings. I think a lot of the themes that I'm hearing, um, from entrepreneurs is you have to be a little bit delusional in the dream and just lean into it because 100%. if you are and you end up not being delusional, then, you know, it all worked out. And if you are, then, you know, better yeah. like next time, but you just have to be like, I might be crazy here, but it's worth the risk. That's right. And then to your point, selling that delusion to the VCs <laughs> and showing them why they should buy into the journey with you. Yeah. That muscle of pitching is definitely something that I've had to learn. Cause I think, like I said, it doesn't come naturally. Just overall selling doesn't come naturally to me personally. Right. You know, I'm like, I was the type of person in college where like studying for a test. I like, I read the syllabus and like, just be like, okay, I'm going to study. And then I had some friends who were like, ask upperclassmen, like, Hey, how did that test go? You know, like there's, and so I think part of, part of figuring it out as a founder is like figuring out some of those like unfair side advantages. And, you know, for me personally, I've always been like, here's my calculation. Here's the merit of the idea and like really focus on that. But it is about storytelling and painting a big picture and, and that is such an important skill. And you kind of have to figure out your own authentic way to do that. And for me, there's, you know, like I'm a numbers driven, like analysis driven type of person. But, and that's what is compelling to me is arguments that have those like levels of analysis behind them. But like you said, with venture, sometimes it's like, it's, you can't, you can't, you know, analyze your way there. You just have to have some sort of like, brazen confidence and belief and just conviction. And I think that is ultimately, you know, especially in the early days of raising venture, that is what gets you the investment, not necessarily like the math behind it. Yeah, especially because you, you know, for series A or, or whatnot, you're still pretty early days. So you might not have, you know, the full picture. So you have you have to paint that picture and show them how you're going to get there. Um, how, how did you, it's not just 
VC choosing you. It's also you choosing who you're going to partner with and grow this company with. So how did you assess the right partners for you and the co-founders to make sure that, you know, you're getting the right type of support if you want, you know, VCs that are a little bit more handholdy versus here's money and do it yourself and we'll see what happens. Like, how did you make that assessment when you were looking? Yeah. I mean, the real answer is, I don't know that we were necessarily like the most... Mm, I, I guess like rigorous or systematic in thinking about this. I will say we've yeah. gotten very fortunate to work with investors who've been quite founder friendly and I think have done, have struck a good balance of, you know, support, but also like hands off and like letting us run the business. Um, our very first seed investor was um, after YC. And so we did not take friends and family money. We, we've taken very little, frankly, friends and friends and family money. It's all been mostly institutional capital behind Benipass. Um, so our very first check was from, that was more institutional, was from Gradient Ventures who led our seed round. Um, it's Google's early stage venture fund. And in particular, the partners that worked there were former founders themselves. And I really liked that. And I think that was something that was super useful in the early days, just like understanding what it was like to be in the trenches, kind of the detailed random problems that we had that they had faced and, you know, maybe not the identical problem, but some variant of it and could, you know, empathize and also provide like really tactical advice that worked out great um, as opposed. And, and then our next round with Threshold and Mo, like I said, is, is a former classmate knew Kabir really well from, they used to work together in, um, in a previous role. And so I think having that level of like familiarity with each other also really helped um, have that like kind of core level of trust in terms of what we were building. And so, you know, I think there's different, there's different like venture capital firms in terms of like flavors. There's, you know, in, especially in the early days, you can take friends and family money or like from an angel or like, you know, a, a single shingle, like a, an investor that is just themselves as an investor versus some of the more institutionalized seed funds. I think there's pros and cons to both of them. For me, like we, like we, we had the ability to raise money. Uh, we did. And I don't think I was particularly scientific in terms of thinking about the types of investors. And we've gotten, like I said, pretty lucky, I think, in the ones that we have worked with. But, you know, for me, I was like, I like, we need to raise money. We did it. Um, and we just did it and moved on. Yeah. We didn't, you know, spend a ton of time like thinking about like, oh, these specific pros and cons. But what you're solving for, I think, is you want to make sure they're not going to be, you want to back channel, back channel the crap out of those investors. Um, through LinkedIn, most investors like say exactly who they've worked with. And so you want to call those founders and founders are incredibly open and generous in terms of giving that, you know, investor back channel. Um, and so that's my, like, I guess, number one tip is just, you know, you, you may not know what style you prefer, but go talk to other founders who will give you like a very real take on, yeah. you know, how valuable or invaluable those investors have been. It's a great tip. And even bigger than, I mean, just in the VC space of conversation, I think building a network with other founders is incredibly important when you're getting started, but also throughout the journey. Curious if you have relied on a network of founders as you're building this company to kind of, whether it's brainstorm with or just have as um, a network to vent to, is that something yeah. that is important to you? Is it? Yes. It's been a really important part of my journey. Cause I think, 
and that's also why I have co-founders as a start. You know, we we joke that like found founding being a founder is like a you know it's a roller coaster. Every there's like so many days are like ones and tens, right? Like in terms of like the highs and lows. And we just joke that as long as we're not having ones all the same day, then that's you know that's how we kind of you know continue to progress. Um, but I think joining the startup accelerator Y Combinator in the early days is the definition of you know trying to find that community. Um, that's been, that was really great. And especially in the small groups that we had, there were, you know, four or five other companies that we would meet with weekly um, to say, here's an update on our progress. Here's what we built. Here's some challenges. Here's some wins. And that was really awesome to have that community of people who are going through similar types of things. And I think that is the that that's the value of a startup accelerators. You have com- you have other companies that are going through the exact same thing at the same time. Because like I said, when you, there's no momentum, it's hard to create momentum. And so being in a community with other people really is useful for that. Um, and then during the pandemic, actually, um, I'm in a kind of uh, called like a CEO support group uh, with other founders from my business school class. Um, and we've kept that going for, I think, oh gosh, going on three years now. But we meet every six weeks, roughly. Um, there's like six of us in that group and everyone's business is really different. Um, but we just share, you know, highs and lows and what we call, you know, ones and tens in terms of problems, like your most intense issue that you can, you know, maybe be as open with your investors, maybe even your co-founders, certainly not employees or customers, but these are like your most, you know, your top problems. And we just kind of help each other talk through them and troubleshoot. And that's been a really great, uh, I think, source of comfort and inspiration um, over the over the years. And I, I really have appreciated that. That's very cool. Do you find that there's themes in, you know, what is bubbling up as a one versus a 10? And yeah, there are definitely themes that come up um, from talking to folks. I think It's funny, a lot of our top 10 or our top like three couple of issues are really around people and just co-founders, people that we hire. Um, A lot of it has been around like people issues. And I think that's a that's a common thing when you start to scale, Um, you know, when you're just three co-founders or, you know, even up to like 10 people, everyone fits in one Zoom room. And you can kind of continue to just, uh, you know, keep trudging forward and you're kind of magically on the same page. But I think the most common issues have been around people, direct reports, co-founders, and kind of like troubleshooting those types of relationships. I am I I don't think I'm like really quite good at networking. I, I've heard these tips and I just, I don't action them, but I'll, I'll spew out the tips that I've heard, which is, you know, it's great to have a mentor who is a founder who might be a year or two ahead of you because they recently had your problem and can help give you some of that perspective. Um, I don't have that. Like I've heard that sounds great, but that's what I've heard is also can be useful. But yeah, I will say the commonalities, even though our our businesses aren't the same, there's B2B, there's B2C, there's stage, there's growth, kind of people types of issues, whether, like I said, that's dealing with co-founders, investors, direct reports, that's been probably the most common thread in our discussions. It makes sense because it's the biggest mover of the business is the people, right? Like you're not going to have the business without those. And when you're starting your business, you're so focused on, you know, you plus if one or two founders, if you have co-founders, if you have that 
and the, the problem you're solving and it's an added problem having to manage all these people on top of growing you know to solve that problem so um i think that as a theme makes sense a few last questions that i like to ask and we've talked about a few of them i think throughout this podcast anyways but Curious if there's any myths that you were told when you were first getting started on your entrepreneurial journey that turns out to not be true or that you want to, you know, dispel for future founders. I think one of the myths about starting a company is the glamour of it, or what I would say is the lack of glamour around it. I think starting Benefit Pass has been the highest highs and the lowest lows. And in a way that makes what I thought were previous highs and lows, like more like threes and sevens, as opposed to like ones and nines. Um, And I think I had, and maybe part of this was being at Stanford, being in Silicon Valley. I had this like glamorous vision of like what it meant to, you know, raise venture money to build a big startup and this like so many different success stories. And it's just, it's really hard day in and day out. I mean, I wouldn't do anything different. I, you know, you have to kind of embrace the hard and the challenges and like the joy and a sense of like confidence and, and, and just feeling great about overcoming some of those challenges, but it's just really hard and you just have to like day in and day out, have the grit to keep doing it. And I think, um, you know, it's, it's, I, like I said, I wouldn't do anything different. I would not be doing this role, but I think I didn't fully understand or like would know how it would feel um, on some of those like hard and, you know, ones and tens types of days. Do you think that having, you know, the co-founders has helped lift you out of those like bottom, bottom days? That's, I mean, I think that's why you need co-founders in the beginning um, because, you know, there's no momentum when you can't when in the early days. And so you got to figure out how to spark and it's easier when there's like other people to spark with. Um, and then, yeah, managing the highs and lows, um, and, you know, between Mark, Beer and me, we have highs and lows on different days and that's useful for a little bit of context. Um, and I think when other people, when they're having tens, I'm like, yeah, let's, I feel really great about that. And when they're having ones and I'm having, you know, not ones, then it's helpful to like provide a little bit of context. Like, Hey, it's, it's not going to be that bad. It's going to be okay. Um, right. that's been, that I think has been so great about this journey is having co-founders and I think has been instrumental. I don't think I could have done this, um, or at least certainly not my first time around. I don't think I could have done this without co-founders and having that support. On that point of, it's so intense throughout this. How do you, how are you managing outside life? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, I think a lot of founders talk about burnout and how intense the journey can be. Um, for me, I think having a stable personal life, you know, I have, you know, lots of friends that I and family that I do prioritize and seeing, I think has helped me set some boundaries around like when and how much I work to, to feel kind of continuously energized. Um, and so for me, like personally, I work Monday through Thursday, I kind of like work around the clock and I truly, you know, I'm up early. I start thinking about work immediately. I take a break for dinner and then I work after dinner and, you know, I don't have, I don't have kids. Um, and so right now I just have that type of time. Um, my husband, he frankly works a lot also. And so Monday through Thursday, we're both like really working. Um, but I will say like Friday, you know, around five o'clock, I'm starting to check out and be done. And I love to fully shut down my computer, like 
you know, close all the tabs and I fully shut down my computer and I really don't work on weekends, like not even at all, not even a little, like occasionally there might be a sprint, but I mean, like that happens less than five times a year, I would say. I really love and value my weekends as like a full shutdown mode. And I think for the company, that's been also really good too, is because we're on different time zones during during the weekday. It is, there's a lot of like messages that happen on Slack kind of around the clock for folks, just because people are in offset time zones. Um, but on the weekends, we really try to shut down and give people kind of that full, you know, uninterrupted time. It's such an important message, not just for founders, but even your team to see that this is how you're prioritizing work and you also prioritize life and that it gives them permission to do that as well. I think sometimes you see founders who are sending messages at, you know, 10 p.m. on a Saturday and you're just like, well, I guess I'm like going to answer really quickly. But to see that you give, you know, yourself the space gives your team the permission to choose to take that space, that space if they, if they want to as well, which is so important. Yeah. Setting a good example there is important. Very last question. If you were to name this episode for Jacqueline, how I became fill in the blank, what would you name your episode? It's a good question. I was actually thinking about this and I was looking at <laughs> other, uh, name other people who have named it. I think in the spirit of like the job changing every six months, I was going to say like how I became a confident chameleon um, because I think what I figured out about myself is not that I'm necessarily like the absolute best at one specific type of skill, but I have, I can figure it out. And I think that that's what I have confidence in myself is like, okay, I know my job is going to change six months from now or three months from now. And I feel good about my ability to make that change and like do a solid job in that before I, you know, fire myself and get someone who's better at it in doing that at, at the company um, or fulfilling that role and function. And so I think about that as like my founder journeys, like figuring out how to do new things um, and figuring out quickly how to do them well. That's a fabulous name. I really like that one. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You have shared such an inspirational story as a female founder and growing a really meaningful business that I know so many people um, get so much value out of. I'm excited to see how it continues to evolve and grow over the next yeah. many, many years. So thank you so much for joining me today. Of course. Thanks for having me. How I Became, a Blue Mex podcast, is hosted by Kelly Yuffet and does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. For more How I Became content, subscribe where you get your podcasts and visit bluemex.io to join us on Discord.